stay with me. I'll take that one now. Good, thank you. Well, it's good to be here again, and thank you for coming. They told me not very many would show up in the summer, but uh, it's important to come to the house of God and hear his word. important that I show up, so here I am and here you are, and let's together have a good time together in the word of God. So last week we started a series called Experiencing the Presence of God, and I suggested to you from the Old Testament that God revealed himself in those days back to the Israelites through what was called the Ark of the Covenant, a box that was to be put into the, the tabernacle, and we'll read about that in just a moment. And that was a symbol, a symbol of his presence. Now today we want to move on, and I want to suggest to you, and you'll see why in a moment, that uh, the other, uh, another uh, symbol of God's presence is in his provision of daily needs for us. We don't need to go to a temple to, or a tabernacle to see a box and get the image of God. God now lives in our hearts. That's the amazing thing, that as we've gone through this and we've realized that God, uh, we remember that God sent his son to die and provide salvation for us. And so if we've responded by that and we have been sealed by his Holy Spirit, the Bible says. So we're free from the penalty of sin. We're also free from the power of sin, but even though we do still sin in a world that we live in. But God's plan was not just to save us from sin. God's plan was to give us a life that he had for us so that we might reflect more and more of his life. And so as we come to this today, we want to read back into the tabernacle and... Uh, I think we went a bit far, Kelvin. Now, this is embarrassing because I went too far. Well, we'll just, um, what shall we do? We're going to go right through and we're going to go to the beginning. When the, when the day was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. God had said, I'll provide food for you every day. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? That's the word manna in their language was manna. So they came out and they saw it and they said, hmm, manna, what is it? And so that became its name. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord God has given you. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Uh, I see, I'm going twice. Well, I'm going to read it to you out of the scriptures. Or shall I go through again? <laughs> Moses said, no one is to keep it until the morning. Yeah, it went two. My technical agent will now fix it. Is it there? Yeah? 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. They did as they were told, some gathering much, some little. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When they saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. That's why I'm a preacher and not a technician. This one? However, they only take what you need for the day. Some of them paid no attention. They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for a person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said, no, that's what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So, I seem to be echoing a lot. So here's what you do. Bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it till morning as Moses commanded. And on this day, the sixth day, it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So here's the story. God is providing them this food that comes out in the morning. They gather it up, and only for the day they eat it, and they bake it, boil it, and do other things with it. And on the sixth day, because it's of the Sabbath, they get two days, and it's okay. So this is an amazing supply of God. Now, here's why I'm doing this. In the first covenant, it had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary or tent. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with the lampstands and the table with consecrated bread called the holy place. Behind this, the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden altar of incense. And here's what we looked at last week. It had the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. So that's why we're doing the manna today, because it was placed in this Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of the presence of God. Now let's just just review here, because I think we're on to a good thing if you're an Israelite. You're in slavery, and your forefathers had been for a long time. In fact, you, on this day, would have been born into slavery. All you would have known was the Egyptian oversight. God comes and rescues you, and more than that, as he rescues you, he destroys in front of you the Egyptian army that had held you. And the people sing and shout because this is very good. And then God says, now we're not stopping here in the desert. I'm taking you right across to the other side. I have something for you, a promised land that is, it's like flowing with milk and honey. It's got everything you need. So we're going to have to get across the desert. And as soon as we get to where we are, there won't be any more need for this stuff that I'm giving you now. But I'm going to provide you food even in the desert. This is a good deal. If you had this, you would think that's okay. 
I am free from the slavery. I have the promise of a land that will have everything I need. And all it needs now is for me to take basically a medium-sized 4,000 steps to TST sort of walk. Unfortunately, there's no number eight bus or or taxi, so we're all going to have to do it together. But on the way, I will provide you with some food. And here it is. It's the stuff that shows up every morning, and the Bible says in various verses we haven't read, but they say the same thing. In the morning when the dew was on the ground, it looked like a white liquid, and when they put it on their tongue, it tasted, tasted like something made with honey. This is pretty good. In fact, if we read the scriptures, we'll find in Psalm 78, the Bible says, this manna is the grain of heaven. This is the bread of angels. Wow, this stuff must be pretty good. But what I didn't read to you is what the Israelites thought of it about a week out. They're going to take a long time to get across this desert. And um, they're going to have this manna for breakfast. And then they're going to have it for lunch. And then they're going to have it for dinner. And the next day, what's for breakfast, mum? Oh, it's manna. Uh, Didn't you go out and get some manna? And for lunch. And before very long this stuff doesn't taste as good as it used to. I mean, I thought about that, and I thought, what would you like every meal of the day for how long? I think I could go a week on mango stickery rice. (laughs) You know, one, two, three. One, two, three. That would be good. But at the end, you'd have to say, the mango's good, but I would like an apple. Or the mango's good, but where's some greens? Well, these people didn't like it either. And in fact, it says, they complained. We want meat to eat. We remember when we were in slavery, we had fish. And we had cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite for this stuff. We don't want it. Which makes me ask, why would God provide it? This is a provision of God. Jesus actually said it was a picture of himself. But they are dissatisfied and they complained to Moses, why on earth would God say to Moses, get some of this, put it in a jar in the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder forever of my provision for you? He must have been embarrassed, must God, to think here I am providing you food and it's so bad. You've gone off it so quickly. And, you know, it had maggots if you ate if you left it and didn't eat it on time, and they'd tried everything. They had baked it and boiled it, and if it had been you, you would have sort of added chicken feed, I think, and tried to get this thing up, but it was just awful. Well, there's a reason for that. The taste of honey isn't so good. If we look at the scriptures, we find what God had said. I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey they said to each other what's this the manna it's white and tasted like wafers made with honey so it tasted like honey it was white liquid like milk and there it was on the ground now I don't know what you would think if you saw a white liquid on the ground you might think it looked like milk and it certainly says when you put it on your tongue it tasted like something made with honey 
So it looked like and tasted like what God had said was ahead of them, a land flowing with milk and honey, but it never satisfied them. In fact, if we go a step further and look down at another verse, I think I've got it here, Numbers. They ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar and made it into cakes that tasted like something made with oil. That's a slightly different description. Something made with oil. Not oil itself, but something that just gave a hint of oil. And if you look at oil in the scriptures, you find consistently that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit or the power of God. A good example is in 1 Samuel, where we were last week, if we'd gone to chapter 5, we would read that Samuel anointed David as king with oil. So Samuel anointed David with oil, and the scripture says, on that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. On that day, as he was anointed with oil, the Spirit of God came on him with power. So this manna sustained them but did not satisfy them. It was, if you like, every morning they went out, it was a hint of the promise that God had for them. It was a reminder that we're not there yet. We're saved from Egypt. We're saved from all that bound us before. But God has got us on a journey and we're not there yet. We need to keep going. It is clear that God does not want them to stay in the desert. He wants them to go to all that he has for them. I want to suggest that this is a very accurate picture of a lot of Christian people in the world today. If we were to ask them and say, have you been born again? They would say, yes. I was reminded through the Bible or through the, pre or through the preacher in the Bible that I was a sinner before God. I had no hope. I was an alien, a stranger to God. I was lost in my sin. But thanks be to God, he sent his son Jesus who died on a cross and his blood was enough to satisfy God for my sins, all of our sins. All I had to do was repent and believe, and I did. So you're a Christian. Yes, I am. I know that if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven. I'm freed from this. And I know that I belong to God. Well, then I have one more question. Is this Christian life as satisfying as you thought it would be when you came? That's a good question. That's a hard question. Because I suspect that even in a room like this, there are some of you, some of us, who think, you know, there's a better life out there. They're having more fun than I am in here. And this life I've adopted, it certainly <clears throat> promised me that I will go to heaven when I die, but it isn't giving me much else. And... Uh, if no one's looking, I'll go back into the other world a little bit. In fact, I come here, but really I'd rather be out there in terms of a daily basis. I come back here on Sundays, and that's about all that I can cope with because it is boring, dissatisfying. 
It would apparently sustain me, but it's certainly not satisfying me. Well, there's some things we need to understand about our Christian life. And Paul, the writer, wrote them in the Ephesians there very much. He said, if you're a believer here this morning, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And you probably know that. That's put in different words, maybe bigger words. I'm saved from my sin, and I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and says, Now then, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So apparently just being in the fold, as it were, is enough. He is saying here that I want you to know him better. And then further on he goes, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So it's not just a matter of being saved from hell and ready for heaven. It's a life. It's not just enough to get across the Red Sea and away from the Egyptians. It's to keep going and get to where God wants me to be. God's purpose for Israel was not just to get them free. It was to take them to this land of promise that he had for them and which they had taken now in the end 40 years to get to because they wandered in circus, cir circles. Now, somebody here might say to me, but I heard that the promised land was heaven, that God wants to get us to heaven, and that's true, he does. But Canaan is not heaven because in this land of Canaan that they're headed to, there will be fighting. There's no fighting in heaven. In this land of Canaan they're headed to, there will be sin and failure. There's no sin and failure in heaven. No, this Canaan represents the best that God has for you and me in this life, in terms of for the Israelites and also for us. And so the sad thing, I think, even in congregations like this, is that so many of us think it is enough to have come to Christ for forgiveness but we have no understanding or we have no interest in walking with him on this load to Canaan and everything uh, that is there. Now, of course, it's important. We have to start. Let, don't get me wrong. We have to uh, stay with him and go with him. We have testimony meetings from time to time in churches, and it's my observation that when we do, we wait and someone stands up and says, I want to testify that 25 years ago, maybe in this very building, and I can remember the day, I can remember the verse, I came to Christ and he saved me gloriously, and I've been a Christian for 25 years, and we clap. And then someone else comes up and says, well, I was 30 years ago. And uh, then someone will come in and say, but last week I gave my heart to Jesus. And we clap for all these, and so we should. And then maybe 40, and you know how long. But what I want to hear is, yes, I was, came to Christ 30 years ago, but you know, yesterday his word was fresh on my lips, 
Yesterday he told me and assured me, there's where he's led me from. I was in the desert and he's taken me through the desert and I've crossed and I'm engaged with Christ. I understand that Paul's prayer is being answered in my life. I do feel that power of the Holy Spirit as I rely on him. I do find the word of God is sweet and rich. And in the Bible it talks about the good things of God dribbling down like honey does down a man's beard if he has one or sweetness of the tongue. And it's used, honey is a satisfying sweetness. These people were only having a taste of honey and it was leaving them dissatisfied. They only had a taste of the wafer that looked like milk and it was dissatisfied. Their experience of God was just a taste of olive oil on the tongue but no power what was going on. God wants us to keep walking with him to what he has for us and to surrender to the fullness of Christ in us. The manna too was also a symbol of the fact that God will never let us go. He didn't just say to them, well, if you're complaining about manna, good luck. That's all I've got, so go do your thing. God never lets you go. Isn't that good? Isn't that frustrating? When I rather wish that I could go my own way, I could go back into the world and have fun like they do, but I can't because God has me and he sealed me and the taste that is dissatisfying when I come to his word is also the same when I want to go back into the world it should feel good but it doesn't there's something that has happened in my heart that does not allow me to enjoy the old world again that's because God has his hand upon you that's because God says I will never leave you or forsake me you may walk away from me you may go anywhere you like but you can't get away from my presence I will come after you he did that much later on in the history of Israel they were taken into captivity they'd uh, broken his laws they'd gone their own way and the, the Babylonians came in and took them away and then some 40 years later he came and spoke and said I think you've forgotten I haven't left you you've left me I'm still the God who's all powerful I'm the great God the mighty God who do you think you think I would leave you over that, but I want to come and tell you again, I'm the gentle shepherd who holds you close and wants to keep you in my arms. That's the God that we worship in this church. This is the God of the Bible, the one, even though we stray, he will not let us go. He has us in our hands. And you see the dissatisfaction and the grumbling and complaining to Moses that they did over there there was just one thing they needed to do just keep walking just get there will you because when you get to the fullness that's the solution it will be and so if you turn your back or I turn my back if any of us turn our back on God don't think we can walk away don't think we can go back to the world and all its pleasures and have all the fun we want there can be, there can be there's pleasure in the world but every night when we lay our head on the pillow, there will be that little voice that whispers, I'm God, I'm with you. I still love you. You are precious in my sight. Sometimes we need to hear that. We want to hear that, and it doesn't seem to be there. But God won't leave us alone. I've saved you, and I will keep you. And now you make the choice, Christian. You can walk with me to the fullness that I've got, or you can stay in the desert with just a taste that's frustrating 
and you will look at others and say, why are they so happy? And then the cynicism and you will say, well, they're just working that up. They're just making it up. You'll be uncomfortable when people have the joy of the Lord and you'll say, no, it's something wrong there. And out of frustration, you'll do one of two things. You'll either reject and harden your heart or please take the other option where you'll hunger so much for what you see that others have and the experience that you know you want to be having that you'll come and you'll fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm back, I'm sorry, I've held control of my life when you want me to hand control over to you. He won't satisfy us in the wrong place or in the wrong relationship. But he made a covenant with Israel and he's made a covenant with you and me. And the Paul wrote to Timothy and said, We can be faithless, but he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself, and his life is in others. The only solution, friend, is to come back to him and say, I've been wandering in the desert. I've been complaining about the life I had. Point me in the direction where I should go, and the only solution that will be is when I follow him. Well, they did. And finally, they got across the river and they camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho and celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And that was the end of the manna. The next day it stopped. And what had been their provision, but also their, their point of complaint for 40 years had gone. And they fed on all that Canaan had for them. All this grumbling to Moses about the manna. The one solution was to get out, of, get out of the desert and into Canaan. And the moment they did, there was no more manna. And they didn't even think about it anymore because they had the fullness. And as we live our Christian lives and we just uh, walk around the edges and stay in the desert, God says, come with me. Come with me. Come on to this beautiful place that I have for you. And we follow him. And we talked a little bit about how they got across the river when they followed the leaders, when they saw their thing. God made a way. And God will make a way for you. And when you get there, you'll find that he's all I need. Jesus is all I need. I take him now for all that I need. And then together we can sing, we worship you for all that we've needed, you have provided. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning, uh, the old prophet wrote, every morning is mercies in you. It's like the manna was renewed but didn't satisfy it, but if you feed on the word of God, if you taste of the real depth of honey and sweetness of God in your life, as you surrender, this isn't bringing more of God in. This is releasing all of God that is already in you. I'm sealed, and you are sealed by his Holy Spirit. And the prayer of Paul was that God, we may know him better as we feed upon his word and meditate in his presence and meet with like-minded people. And then he goes to another stage, and when you know him better, you will experience the power that can be released in your life to fill your life with satisfaction and gratitude. Not saying with easy living. In fact, it can be harder living at times. That's our choice. Well, and the question is, uh, why didn't they go quickly? Why did they mess around in circles and complain and carry on about 
all these uh, things that were happening to them, why didn't they go in earlier? Well, it is what Joshua and Caleb said as they looked at what would happen. Because if you go uh, to before they went over into the land, uh, God had said to Joshua, uh, to Moses, send in 12 spies and let them spy out the land and see what it's like. Just see one, if I'm telling the truth when I say it's a great land, but also strategize how you might need to go in. They go in and they come back and they have uh, some things to say to Moses. All 12 of them came back and said this thing. We went into the land. It does flow with milk and honey, and they brought along some samples of the fruits and vegetables. But they all said, the people who live there are powerful. In fact, they are giants. And then they split. Two of them said, no, no, we're not in this bit. The other 10 said, they are so big, we felt like grasshoppers. We can't go in there. We'll be just beat up. The other two, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, if God is with us, if he's pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. He will give it to us. They didn't think about how they would win the battle. They said, no, God's going to give it to us. And Christian friend, we don't fight the battles to win the victory. Anything that comes that looks like a battle, we face from victory. The victory has been won. Christ has won the battle. Christ is in our lives. We don't, in a sense, we go in and pick up the spoils of the victory he has won. Now, God hasn't said it will always be easy. But he says, follow me and I will give you that land. So the spies were there and 10 of them said, no, we can't. And the other two said, we can. By the way, as those spies were on the way in, they stayed at a, a lady's house uh, of the enemy who was not a very uh, moral lady, Rahab. But she said to them, I know who you are, basically, and I want you to know that our people are frightened. They have seen you camped across the river. They, have know, they know who your God is. They saw what he did to the Egyptians, and they think he's coming to do the same to us. Your God, says the enemy, is powerful and we are afraid. And yet here's God's people who are afraid of the people who are afraid of their God. Why are we afraid? The Bible says the devil trembles. At the name of Jesus, hell trembles and Satan must flee. If the victory is ours, why do we hold back from going into the fullness of the land that God has? Why do we follow back, uh, hold back from following when he calls us and says that we go? Well, the first reason is fear. And if we can overcome that fear and say, no, God is with us, we'll go. The second reason is what God said to Moses. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them? Unbelief or fear leads to unbelief and that leads to disobedience. God is not happy when we disobey him. 
God is, I think, puzzled when we understand the miracles that he's done in our life, the way he's led us and fed us, the provision that we've seen, the situations he's dealt with, and yet we still go on living on manna. We still go on living on the taste of the real thing, but never experiencing it. Still staying in that wilderness situation where every day is a struggle and we wish we were really on the other camp or we don't know where we are and we certainly don't believe that God has provided what we want. And yet around us are people and churches that are filled with people who are rejoicing in God, experiencing the fruits of the promised land, seeing the candle burn when people come to Christ and make that belief in him and join in this family. Come to a church like this. I don't know, I think I'm preaching to the converted, but I just want to still remind us that while this is a church of great unity and love, and I can tell you won't stop talking to each other, it's wonderful, and you want to be together, but are you experiencing God in all his fullness? This is just a show, just something we do. But now, as they got over there, they reached and they got to the place where God was in control. And if you read the books that follow, yes, there were battles, but they were winning because the enemy was scattered. Then comes that beautiful time at the end when they nearly sort of got the land divided and and, uh, Joshua is the leader and uh, his old mate Caleb. Remember, he was one of the two, two spies that came in. Joshua and Caleb were the ones that God led in. Joshua becomes their leader. Caleb comes up and he says, Hey, Josh, I'm 87. That's getting up there. I'm 87. And you know what? I reckon I'm as fit as I was 40 years ago when we first saw those giants. Give me this mountain. Let me go in. There's enough in me that can take one more hill. And by the way, I don't want any of these sort of flat and easy places. I want the one up there where those giants were living. That's the mountain, by the way, the name of that mountain translated would be fellowship and peace with God. That's where the giants and the enemy were. They went out there where the soft people were. Satan had his men encamped, keeping away the people of God from the place of fellowship. Caleb said, 87 Give me some men and let me go. And Joshua said, go. And Caleb went and you turn the page of scripture and it said, Caleb drove out the Anakim. Well, actually God did it through Caleb. You see, an 87-year-old man, I would suspect, doesn't have a lot of energy himself. But an 87-year-old man with God in his, hand, uh, in his side and with God in his heart, and who's had a life of experience of God giving victory, there's nothing can stop an 87-year-old. I'm just making a, a, a plea for older men here that you treat them with respect because if God is there, they can do anything. And this morning, whatever age you are, whatever experience you've had, whatever your testimony is, if your testimony is that God has saved you, then I say to you, your testimony can be, and God has given me the victory, and God's victory is seen in my life, and my life is filled with gratitude to God for what he's done. I'm not feasting on the manna of the desert. I'm feasting now on the bountiful supply that God has given me in this place where I continue to find his presence. 
where I continue to find his victory, where all he asks is my obedience. And so I sometimes pray, Lord, would you do all you need to do in me today so that you can do all you want to do through me? Because I can't do anything of value to you unless you do it. And you can't do anything of value through me unless I submit to you. And so today when we see the Ark of the Covenant and in it the the stick of manna, God wasn't embarrassed. God was saying to them, see, this was the way I led you and fed you so that you would get to where you need to be. I don't want you in the desert. I want you in the place of victory. Will you follow me? Will you come with me? Will you put aside your grumbling and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I follow you where I want to go? I pray that you would see that. His life lived through us will allow his fullness to be experienced not only by us but by those around us. And the glory will be given to him as we hand over complete control filled with the Holy Spirit and ready for service. What's our response? It could be to go back out into the desert if that's where you are. Praise God, it can be. We're going. We're going. We're going in. We're going in because God has provided everything we need and God will continue to provide. And the victory is ours. And we'll say with Paul, thanks be to God for he gave us the victory. Thanks be to God. Can you say that today? Can you say it tomorrow? You can if you'd go into the fullness that he has for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for reminding us through this experience that a taste of honey, the appearance of milk, and the taste of oil is not sufficient for you. You want us all. You want us to go where you want to take us. And you want your hand to be upon us. And you want us to experience your life in all its fullness. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sin. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that you've given me within. But, oh, Lord, I want to know all of you. I want the fullness of the Spirit of God within me to be released so that I can experience the fullness of what you have for me in this life. I, Lord, want to be your child. I, Lord, at whatever age I am, want to say to be able to say to you, give me something that I can do in your name. Release your power in me so that I can be what you want me to be. Lord, I want to turn my eyes on you and just see you today. And as I see you, I want you to just release your love and your grace through me so that people would ask who are you and I'll be able to say I'm a child of God and he is my saviour, he is my Lord and I follow him and trust him implicitly every day of my life. This is our prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks God.